Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week, we take a look at the texts, we talk about them, comment on them, and we offer up a special track for our mixtape. This week, on the first Sunday of Christmas, we're talking about uh, strained relationships. We're talking about uh, God in the midst of good memories and bad. And we're talking about 16 horses pulling straight through death. These lessons uh, for the first Sunday of Christmas include Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9, Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18, and the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through First reading comes from the book of Isaiah, the 63rd chapter, verses 7 through 9. And I'm reading out, and Ben is reading out of the NRSV. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved him. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is a tough one. Mm Mm-hmm. I think looking at the the stuff before it and the stuff after it is pretty downer. Yeah, a little bit. Like, right after, like, ah, yes, God lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved God's Holy Spirit. Therefore, God became their enemy and fought against them. It's like, oh, hmm. oh, geez. Whoops. Um, I think it's helpful to remember that these are people remembering their history and trying to make sense of incredible tragedy in Mm -hmm. the midst of war and exile and all of that. And so this idea of God's faithfulness, we mess up. God's faithful again. Uh, Are we being punished for the things that we've done? I've had that experience and... I'd bet good money that you have too, Ben, where you mm-hmm. talk to somebody in a pastoral care situation who's going through a tough time and they ask that question, is God punishing me because, you know, A, B, C, D things? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. And part of the, I think part of the pastoral action is to re- instinctively say, I'm not quite sure that's what God normally does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how do we, I think there are a variety of ways of interpreting what happens in the midst of tragedy and suffering and all of that, but I like that this passage mm-hmm. is lifted up by the lectionary gnomes 
of remembering God's faithfulness to us. Like, how do we interpret all of that? Whatever our interpretation of what that looks like and where God is in the midst of suffering, it's always in the context of God being faithful and loving toward us. So much so, hands-on experience, that kind of a thing. And yeah, I think that's really important to note. It is. Like, this is a really important chapter um, in in our remembrance and what we should be holding inside of ourselves. And also, I don't know about you, Dan, but one little blemish and I start focusing on the blemish, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's hard to ignore. It's hard. And it's not, (laughs) you know, it's, it seems to be big. It seems to be really, really big for Isaiah. Um, this issue, this notion of what's happening. So what do we do as Christians? Like, we don't, we, we both need to hear this because it is a part of our heritage of, uh, about how God has been interacting with the world um, for a long time. And, and it's, these are the scriptures that get lifted up in Jesus' own mouth, you know, um, to, to tell us about who we are. So what do we do with a text like this? How do we refrain from, you know, assuming that there's a terrible anger coming from God? And how do we also refrain from simply dismissing any time God takes action? I'm not totally sure. I'm not either. I think that's what's really tough about it. It's There's no cut and dry answers, I suppose. But as I mean, I think maybe there's some issue about God becoming our enemy. I think that's uh, problematic and doesn't fit in with a lot of the rest of the witness of scripture. But also the idea that God cares so much about the way that we treat one another and about the ways that we follow God that God is willing to get angry and to stop it. Mm -hmm. Something else that happens right after this. So, you know, looking ahead and you're probably not going to read the entire chapter in church, but getting on to verse 15, you have this um, prayer asking for forgiveness and asking for God to change God's heart. Turn back for the sake of your servants, for the sake of the tribes that are your heritage, verse 17 says. And that our God is one that listens. Like we know we don't deserve anything that we have, but we know that God is compassionate and that God remembers us with love and kindness. And it's okay to come to God with that and to ask for God to remember us and the kindness and not as we would treat ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as as low as this point seems when we're reading it, we're going to get to Ezra and Nehemiah, you know? We're going to mm-hmm. get to those moments. And and just like un, just like it breaks our heart to hear that the Lord picked us up and carried us all the days of old isn't forever, um at least, you know, isn't uninterrupted. It's also not uninterrupted, this moment of 
of tension between us and God, you know, this moment of Mm -hmm. a stressed relationship, to say the very least, um, because God does turn, turn towards us again. I think some, I think sometimes in, in my work in scripture, I feel myself running away too quickly from moments where we hear God having anger towards God's people. And I think the reason I'm running away is because I trust God to be a loving God. Hmm. I also think that I need to be able to stay and wrestle with this and dwell with this and try to listen for the voice of God somewhere in this because I don't know that God becomes less loving when I'm trying to listen to God uh, throughout all of scripture. And instead of, you know, instead of just the places I can hear it clearly. Yeah, absolutely. There's a variety of voices to listen to within and without scripture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Our second reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, the children share flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared the same thing, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, there's, there's a couple things that I like about this passage, especially in connection with uh, the gospel reading that we'll get to with the holy innocence. Uh, mm. I like the idea that God is with us. I think that's another Christmas theme that could continue on into the week after Christmas yep. or the first Sunday after Christmas, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Christ shares in our life and shares in our suffering, he knows firsthand what it's like. And I could see a sermon even going through all of that. I mean, to talk about the holy innocence and that fear of being murdered by um, a tyrannical uh, political leader and about Jesus worrying and um, coming to terms with his cousin John being killed and Lazarus's death and his own physical suffering on the cross. Like you could go through all of that. And I mean, Jesus didn't shy away from the human experience. Hmm. And what what I find interesting about the the language of this is a lot of times I hear like transactional things um, in in moments like this where you know 
Jesus had to be human that way. Like Jesus would know what it's all about, you know, but it's, mm-hmm. I, I, and I haven't done the Greek work I admit. Um, and I think it might be worth diving into a little bit, but with verse 10 saying it's fitting that God for whom, uh, and through whom all things exist, uh, should make pioneer the pioneer of their faith perfect through sufferings. Um, I think it's, it's just saying that it seems right, you know, that, that Jesus would be one of us, you know, that God would be one of us mm-hmm. and, and not for the sake of perfecting a transaction or balancing, balancing an equation, but the best way to dwell is to be one of the people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, God could have brought about salvation in any way. Yeah. God could have spoken it. God could have made us sign a contract. God could have whatever, but God chose to become flesh and blood and to be with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that idea of God didn't have to do anything, but God chose to do it this way. Yeah. And, and that changes the way I hear verse 17, right? Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. If I read that verse by itself, it becomes transactional and equation balancing. Mm-hmm. But if I read it with everything else that was done before, it's more like I can't imagine this being done in a better way. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when you said equation, it's like God is not bound by the math of it all. God made the math. God decided how this was going to work out. Yeah. And I like that. That's much more compassionate than God had to do this. You know, we were so bad. You know, the substitutionary atonement type of theology, uh, or especially bad ways of reading that. Like, we were so bad that God demanded blood. And so Jesus gave us the blood so that we'd be safe from God's wrath. And it's like, well, God didn't have to, <laughs> you know, God didn't have to demand blood. God gets to make the rules, right? Mm-hmm. And so God chose to be with us. Yeah. I mean, this moment, this talking about a sacrifice of atonement, when I hear that language, at least now, I hear less that like in order to get us out of a bind, God had to die. And I hear more that instead of working in a way that we heard in the first reading, God decided to work in a way that we hear here. Um, and not, not that either one of them is better or worse, but to say, at least in this moment, God wanted to die rather than for us to die. Mm-hmm. The other thing I really like about this passage is the line in uh, verse 11 that for this reason Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters Mm. I really like that Um, it brings to mind this idea that I mean that Jesus is with us that he loves us and he doesn't care even if it's embarrassing by all the goofy things that we do and we do do some goofy things um and we do some bad things that are frankly embarrassing. Uh, but I really like that. It reminds me of when I was a kid. Uh, and even so, my dad is very 
mushy is the word that I use for him. Uh, he's very like sweet and like really wants to show his emotions and show his affection, which is really nice until you're like 17 years old and you really don't want your dad doing that in front of your friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I have this image, uh, like I remember, uh, I was visiting from college. So I was like 18 or 19 years old and my dad and I were going someplace and we're about to cross the street and he holds out his hand (laughs) to hold my hand across the street. (laughs) And I just looked at him. I'm like, dad, come on. (laughs) But I like that, you know, Jesus isn't afraid to, isn't ashamed to, to hold our hand in public. Yeah. Yeah. I, you got me thinking of the past, and uh, there was a point in my life where the highest compliment I could give a friend was to say that they're like a brother or they're like a sister. Um, mm-hmm. And I still cherish the ones who have said that about me, you know? And it's it's really it's really powerful, you know, for for words like that to be used, at least, uh, to me and, and, uh, through scripture. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a very intimate and personal thing. It seems like, yeah, I I think the first reading and the second reading are going to start to, at least in my head, spar as we get to the gospel. So it might be a good thing to move there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's see what the gospel has to say then. Mm -hmm. Well, would you like to read the gospel or shall I, Ben? Uh, go for it, Dan. All right, cool. This is the Gospel of Matthew, second chapter. I'm reading from the NRSV. Now, after the Magi had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. This was fulfilled. This was Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared suddenly in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Oof. Yeah. What I have often found interesting about scripture is that it it flips on its head some of the places where I thought I already knew what was happening. Um, 
when it quotes its own self, right? Mm-hmm. And so when when out of Egypt I have called my son, you know, uh, whenever I read that uh, in in prior scripture and Hebrew scripture, then I associate it with the Exodus. You know, I don't necessarily associate it with Jesus. Um, and again, Rachel weeping for her uh, children, I associate it with um, the dispersion and uh, the exile. I don't associate it with, with this moment. And so I think, given what we've talked about in the first couple attempts of Scripture, um, at least here, Matthew and even Jesus open the possibilities of what we might be hearing about when we're reading scripture, open the possibilities of what all this idea might contain. And to limit it to a specific moment is to probably limit the way that words work, writing works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that gets to our biblical interpretation of the New Testament's use of the Old Testament as well. I think the temptation yeah. in the common way that we're reading these passages is, ah, uh, see how Jeremiah foresaw Jesus's birth. And ah, uh, see how uh, Micah foresaw Jesus's birth. And that's not really what's happening. But I like what you said about, I mean, it's kind of like seeing God's consistent saving action and how it's still here in Jesus, um, going from the exile out of Egypt, going from uh, the exile out of uh, the deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance from Babylon. Like God is in the business of setting people free and being with those that are fleeing for their lives, those that are uh, pursued by tyrants and such. And it's true with Mm -hmm. God's very own son to get into some of the Hebrews, Jesus being with us in the midst of that. Yeah. Uh, Contextually, I really like, (laughs) I like what the Magi do to Herod. Yeah. Uh, Like it says that he had, like they had tricked him. And like, basically they just ghost him. Pretty much. They're like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, Herod's like, come on back. Tell me when you find the, the child so that I might pay homage to him too. And they're like, yeah, sure thing. And then they just never return his texts and just walk away. Mm hmm. (laughs) yeah i love that the magi like felt felt empowered enough or bold enough i guess to like just not do what was expected you know like Mm -hmm. oh we're in a like we're not in our own territory this is the ruler of the area plenty of people are going to try to like help this ruler out um maybe we should just like get along to get along, you know, go along to get along. And they don't do any of that. They're like, no, that's a bad idea. (laughs) We're not doing Mm -hmm. any of this. And they just, they just do what they believe to be the right thing. And, you know, where the world is full of, you know, a pressure to act or behave a certain way. I applaud from this many years later, the folks who are willing to say, I have a, either an ethic or morality or a literal call by God 
to not behave the way the rest of society is behaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're models of resistance against the forces of this world. And I think that's really powerful. I mean, I guess we're skipping ahead to epiphany a little bit, but yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, just because people are in authority doesn't mean that they're automatically God sanctioned. Yeah. I, and this text is just so tragic. Um, yes. And the fact that it is a Christmas text, that it's attached to the birth of Jesus uh, or his early years, I think is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not just about having a holly and jolly Christmas, but to remember that Christ came into the most not holly and the most not jolly of times, um, the absolute worst of this world. Yeah. And that's what it's about. And for sermon illustrations, I mean, there's so many different things you could talk about. We could talk about refugees from around the world. Um, We can talk about those on the other side of the world and talk about Syria um, and other places like that. We could talk about um, those that are fleeing violence and poverty, abject poverty uh, at our southern border as well. Mm. Um, You could talk about the tragedy of kids being killed by action and lack of action. Um, Sandy Hook comes to mind. Uh, that happened in mid-December as well, so pretty close to Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of things that you can lift up. and It's a real downer, but this text is a real downer. And to talk about Christ in the midst of all of that, that that's why God came here, because these awful things happen. God came to save us from this. There's a certain act of bracing oneself that it takes to walk into this text and it's different than the text that we have on Christmas Eve with Luke 2 you know Um, Mm -hmm. like where Luke 2 easily lends itself to Silent Night this text is just immediately like walking into a headlong wind (laughs) that has no chance of stopping and and what I, what I like about this text in the midst of the pericope, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, here are very similar things happening to Christ that happened to the people of Israel. Displacement, an attempt to murder, um, a lack of power in your own place, like very, very similar moments. And yet here... It is not God's anger that is a part of this. It's not God's frustration. It's not that God is an enemy. Um, we see throughout these moments that God is is advocating on behalf of the Holy Family's life um, through the Magi, through the ones that are able to, to care for uh, Jesus and his family all the way to Egypt and back. We, we have a very different view of God in a very similar circumstance. Mm. I also, I mean, I'm just as, Oh, go ahead. Keep, keep going. Oh, it's just kind of an aside. Um, but there's some cool artwork, uh, interpreting the flight to Egypt. Mm -hmm. 
And I think especially of there's a Philadelphia based artist name who goes by the name Ben Wildflower. And there's some that have uh, depict Mary and the baby Jesus at a border fence with the fence cut out and uh, her cradling Jesus. And there's another one of Mary uh, leaning over a fence and grabbing the barbed wire and pulling it apart. Which is just really powerful uh, about God separating the walls that divide us and being with those who are suffering, I think is a really powerful image. Yeah. And I can put a link to those in the show notes. Yeah. This, this text um, always stands out to me in my context artwork as well, um, especially inside the Congregation of Trinity. We have eight grayscale paintings on our walls in lieu of, you know, kind of depictions inside uh, stained glass. We do have stained glass, but just kind of decorative stained glass. And of those eight paintings, two of them are stories from Jesus' childhood. Mm. We have one of the exile, and we have one of Jesus teaching in the temple. And I am always so struck that somehow this congregation decided that when they would have Mary and Joseph and a donkey, um, that they didn't decide to stop there. I mean, that it's, it's most people when they have Mary and Joseph and the donkey is like, okay, Christmas time, like Jesus isn't here yet. Like, uh, we're, we're about to be there. This is Mary and Joseph and Jesus on a donkey. And all of a sudden it's a picture, not of, a expectant holy family going into a silent night, but a fleeing holy family that's running for their lives. And Mm -hmm. I think there's great wisdom in having at least a few moments of chaos depicted in our holy spaces. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Christ didn't come into the world because... We were doing just fine and had everything figured out and in hand. Not at all. Hmm. Any other thoughts? Only one. Okay. And it's because I kind of was thinking this since the second reading. But when, when Jesus finds it, when God finds it good to call us brothers and sisters, this is an interesting text to pair that with. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would say that th- this is the place, this, this includes the place where God finds it good to call us brothers and sisters. We are not excluded from that mark because of what's happening right now. And we're not excluded from that mark because of the chaos of our humanity. You know, God knows our humanity. And this is a part of it. Like we see this all the time. This is a part of our humanity. I think it's a part that we could lessen greatly, but this is nonetheless a part of our humanity. And Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Yeah. Blows my mind. Mm. Yep. You know, Ben, that reminds me of the song. Nice. All right. Uh, Would you like to go first or shall I for our mixtape tracks? Uh, Go for it, Dan. All right. 
So for my track, I chose the song Heel on the Shovel by 16 Horsepower. Uh, 16 Horsepower is this great uh, alternative country, big on the banjo, kind of twangy kind of music, and it's just really great. Um, I chose this song because it is kind of macabre and this is a very macabre and somber reading and the song just describes someone who is digging a shallow grave for someone and it can sound really i don't know grim Uh, but it's revealed toward the end of the song that the grave that the person is digging is for death itself Um, The chorus goes, I'm digging you a shallow grave as the sun your face I'll raise. I'm digging you a shallow grave, 100 buzzards buzzing. And then I seen death hanging from the tallest tree, eyes closed, no looking back at me. Yea, they come and took him in the night. The one who kissed him was greed. Uh, And at the end of it, it has this line, I see death running from his majesty. I guess it's depicting Jesus digging a grave for death itself. And I like that because this passage has a lot of death in it. Um, the slaughter of the innocents, mm. the uh, holy innocence. And here is this image that that's why Jesus came uh, to get his hands dirty and to bury death itself. Yeah. There's a lot of power behind behind the way that the song kind of, I don't know, brings that death to our front and center and mm-hmm. then just runs through it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, one as well. Uh, I went with Say Goodbye by Skillet. Um, this, is, this is a song that always kind of... When I heard it um, in my youth, it seemed like there was a tension between the happiness that was remembered uh, inside the relationship that they're talking about in the song, and yet they're they're still saying goodbye to one another. They're saying it's the end of a relationship, and the the singer always seems to hold out uh, hope and uh, and a strong sense of of trusting. Uh, the singer's memories, like, I know we were happy at one point, um, and I hope for that happiness again. And in the in the different readings that we've been talking about, there's remembering that's going on, and there's remembering really happy points, and there's remembering really tough points, and there's remembering murderous points. Mm-hmm. And that can feel like a strained relationship, you know, that... that that will strain a relationship. We know this. Um, and yet, uh, I think that that in the midst of such a relationship, we can indeed hold out hope that one goodbye isn't the final Don't say goodbye. Cause I don't 
strained relationship theme especially calls to mind the Isaiah reading for me. Yeah. Especially in the context of, you know, is God our enemy or is God for us? And will God remember us? I think that's really powerful. Well. Well. Well, I think that's going to do it for us over here at Lectionary Mixtape. Thank you for listening in with us and joining in the conversation. We will talk to you next week. And yeah, for the second Sunday after Christmas. Yep, 12th day of Christmas, January 5. Woo! Nice. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Thanks for your time. And we'll talk to you again. Bye. See you later.